the main thing, and it's not a huge deal, but significant to me, so maybe we can find a creative way of getting around it. Um, the person whose thoughts are the basis of my topic today, I don't know how to say his f-ing name. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, Max, I've been working on this for an hour. It's driving me bonkers. Is it Mihai Csikszentmihalyi? No. It's actually a very simple looking name, but there are at least three options, and I don't know which one is correct, and I cannot track it down. Mm. And it's driving me bananas. What is um, what is this person known for? He is an organizational psychologist. Okay. Um so I don't know whether to dive in. So Has he written name, a book? He has. What's several. his name a book? Give me a book. Sense making and organizations. Yeah, I want to hear what you would say. And maybe you've come across uh, Well, that's answer. why I asked what he had written, because I have read enough of that garbage that I might be able to come up with it. Um, <laughs> and not that all of it's garbage, just that I've read a lot of it that is well, garbage, and I've read a lot of it that might be garbage, but I liked mm-hmm. anyways. Um, right. Well, and really, hopefully what will become clear as we talk is that I'm really just pulling out this one idea that I heard referenced elsewhere. So I am... And maybe that's... Maybe I should not be worried about, quote-unquote, butchering this topic, because really I'm not interested in his body of work, which I do not know. Uh-huh. Well, and, I, <laughs> and yeah, really... there's um, uh... <laughs> to an extent, I, I, I always find it funny. I'm sure I've mispronounced a few names on here. I know I've mispronounced a few words on here. Um, <laughs> and it's it's funny that, that I, I, I do worry about it, because we have a last name that is so often mispronounced, um, mm-hmm. which everyone listening should know by now because it's in the it's in the intro on every show. It's Leibman, long I sound, um, L E I B M A N Leibman, um, and people. I don't know. People always want to say Liebman. And my retort to that is always like, how many of you have ever met a Liebman in your life? Like, who actually knows mm-hmm. a Liebman? Point me towards a Liebman. There are no Liebmans. <laughs> All of you have only well, ever met Leibmans, and you are mispronouncing it. So <laughs> get over it. <laughs> well, and even – not even that. But what gets me is this, this happens so often. I will tell people my name so they do not encounter it in writing. Mm-hmm. I tell it to them. When they speak it back, still never having seen it, they will say Liebman back mm-hmm. when the only information they have is me saying Liebman verbally. That's what blows my brain is like, I don't get right. it. Yeah. Where I, did that I come do from? Have, I have colleagues right now that I have had to correct multiple times. And it's like, <laughs> in the meantime, you haven't met any Liebmans. So like, I understand if you made a guess wrong the first time. Actually, no, I take mm-hmm. that back. I don't understand. <laughs> there are no Liebmans. You're all wrong. Oh um, which I am, I, yes, I recognize I am factually wrong when I say there are no Liebmans. There might be a lot of them, but statistically, nobody has met any of them. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, this is not a common name. Um, this is not a name that everyone in America knows somebody of. <sighs> so, all this is to say, I wish that I knew how to say this guy's name, um, but give I me, cannot. Give me a moment. Okay. Have you found the book? <laughs> I believe I have. Yeah, I don't know. Um, are we talking about Carl? And I'm going to guess Wyke. That's not one of the versions that I've heard. What have you heard? <laughs> Tell me what you've heard. Wick and Weak. Let's go with Wick. I don't think Weak. I just, I really don't feel like Weak is right. But see, that's what people do with the E-I. The reason I've gone... The, that's why we get pronounced reason, as Liebman. The reason I went Wyke is because I have actually known somebody whose last name was pronounced that way, although off the top of my head I could not tell you how her name was spelled. <laughs> um, but I did know a mm-hmm. white, so that's why I went with that. Mm-hmm. I think I think I think Wick though. Wick sounds Wick sounds pretty reasonable to me. And I feel like if we if we go with Wick, we are choosing some sort of happy middle ground between what happens to our mm-hmm. name if Leibman and Liebman are are Poles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. But I think Wick, we just avoid it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Right? Um, I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, and, and maybe, <laughs> you know, actually, I think as I'm looking at this, um, uh, W-E-I-C-K. 
I think actually I'm going to go with, I think that's pronounced Jean. You're so fired. As you know, I am a native French speaker. No. Anywho. Shall we, so, so are we agreed on Wick? Yeah, okay. Let's go for it. I was gonna, my my uh, secondary suggestion was we just say Carl, but as a as a person of academic training, that just feels very odd. Mm, yeah, I I think I say we go. I say we we go with either Jean or Wick. Um, I would be comfortable with either of those. <laughs> I I think I think Wick though. So, um, listeners, for the balance of this podcast, when we say Wick, we mean the gentleman whose first name is Carl, whose last name is W E I C K. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leipman and her brother, Max Leipman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, I Am a Time Traveler. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 11. Let me maybe dive into the nitty gritty and then I'll uh, lead you to what all this made me think about and what made me interested in this um, as a more general topic, because I think it could have some cool implications for the type of stuff we like talking about. And guess what? You'll get to talk about GTD again. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll make a game of it now and I'll just not bring it up. <gasps> well, that's rude that I'll have to do it. <laughs> I'll be pouring my own drinks, as they say. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody says that. That's not a thing. Not I know, a phrase. but I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are. You are. I don't care if listeners think I'm funny. I'm like, man, I do it for myself. <laughs> cool. So, um, this person's work, Carl Wick's work. Um, this was the other thing that I was. Uh, very frustrated with myself that I hadn't taken a better note because now I can't track it down. Um, his work was brought to my attention in a brief reference that was made on an episode of Invisibilia, the podcast from NPR. Um, I can't figure out which episode and it's driving me bonkers also. (laughs) So that's another loose end that I really would like to tie up. Um, but yeah, so that's how, um, he was brought to my attention, and specifically this uh, section from a book from 1995 called Sense Making and Organizations. Um, in Sense Making, uh, the topic of that particular work um, sort of is what it sounds like, mm-hmm. <laughs> the ways in which we make sense of, of the past, of our experiences, of how we work together in groups. Uh, all these different phenomena that happen when we try to work together. Um, And so this whole book, he's exploring this idea. Um, One thing that I was drawn to was this idea of how we think about the past versus how we make sense of the present versus how we imagine the future. So he's got this section um, just a little ways into the book. Uh, He cites a study from the early 80s, actually from 1980, Um, he brought a bunch of executives together, sorry, a person named Boland, um, whose study Wick is citing, uh, brought a bunch of executives together. Um, it's 1980. Um, I'm sure there are shoulder pads among them, perhaps, Mm, mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. to set the setting. And and Um, so much white skin and gray hair. Yes, yes. And bushy eyebrows, for whatever reason. I'm picturing that, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, ambiance set. Um, executives brought together. It's 1980. So Boland, the person running this study, gives these executives a bunch of accounting reports that are dated 1982 to 1985. And remember, again, bushy eyebrows, shoulder pads, it's 1980. Mm -hmm. He asks them to imagine that it is July of 1985 and that they're looking back at these years of accounting reports. And then he asks them to discuss what their industry has become and why and how it has evolved that way. You with me? So far. Cool. So what Boland was trying to do was to see if it was easier to make sense of future events if they were imagined as if they had happened in the past. Mm. 
So, and I'm not sure if this term comes from Bowland or if it comes from Wick, but what Wick calls this exercise is future perfect thinking. So imagining events that have not yet occurred mm-hmm. as if they have already occurred in the past. So what uh, Wick says is, how can I know what we did until I see what we produced? So that question of how can I imagine the future if I don't know what's happened? Right. Um, basically, <laughs> how can I know? Um, the dominance of retrospect, so the idea of looking backward in sense making, is a major reason why students of sense making find forecasting, contingency planning, strategic planning, and other magical probes into the future wasteful and misleading if they are decoupled from reflective action and history. Hmm. So, this idea of future perfect thinking. Um, I, I don't know. As a person who's into linguistics, and I know sometimes on this on previous episodes I've done this too, where I, I I just really appreciate digging into the terminology we use and the ways that the language we choose affects thinking. I mean, that was our whole conversation last time um, with titles, mm-hmm. right? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is what what do those labels do to us, and what can they be for us? Um, so similarly here. I'm thinking about (laughs) can tense produce different types of thinking. So specifically, I'm thinking about how hard it can be sometimes to imagine and plan for the future because it is sort of by definition unknowable. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, uh, and I'm thinking of our father here who – was a history major as an undergrad and immediately went into um, the financial world and has been there ever since. Um, How our dad makes so many connections between the value of history and the work that he does every day. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is uh, Um, in part, I mean, I don't think he would, he would say his job is predicting the future, but a lot of his success is contingent on, you know, having things in the right place when things that have not played out yet play out. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in investment, um, <laughs> what's going to happen in the future will determine a lot of your success. Right, right. So I know when he thinks about his work, he's harnessing knowledge of patterns of the past and cycles of the past. Um, not to say that that can tell you what's going to happen, but it makes it this process mm-hmm. of looking forward a lot easier. Right. Um, yeah, so that idea that and I haven't, I just came across this in the last week or so. Um, I haven't had a lot of time to try to implement it, but it's a really interesting thought experiment. So I really, I'm looking forward to thinking more about Mm -hmm. it when I find myself getting stuck on, well, I can't know what that moment's going to look or feel like. So how can I prepare for it? Um, I'm really interested in trying this out. Mm -hmm. Like, is this a form of mindfulness, this future perfect thinking? So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. I like this topic a lot. Um, and the the first two things that come to mind, uh, one is not really going to be, I think, so much helpful. Is just just why I um, why this topic is interesting to me right now. And the second one might start to get towards something <laughs> helpful or interesting. Um, but uh, the the first is like just the value of thinking about the future at all. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm. Um, <laughs> This will be actually uh, surprisingly considering I don't think either of us uh, follow hockey will be our second Wayne Gretzky reference <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, but I, I I don't know if it's normally attributed to him as something he said or attributed as something that was said about him. But um, I've, I've often heard Wayne Gretzky's success described as like, you know, skating to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Um, and that's often applied as a metaphor in, in business context. Like people talk about, you know, when Apple releases a brand new product, like they're, they're aiming for where the market is going to be. You know, when the iPhone first came out, um, and people like to forget this, nothing on the market looked like the iPhone or worked like the iPhone. And a very hmm. few years later, everything on the market looked and worked like the iPhone. Um, hmm. You know, keyboards and buttons and menus all went away. And everything right. was a touchscreen. Everything was a blank slab of glass that did magical things. Um, y- you know, and they, we can argue about how much of that they invented versus how much of that they just kind of caught onto early enough and, and made the mm-hmm. first good version of, but they did make the first good version of it or good enough version of it. If you want to argue about how good it was, um, 
what Google Android, you know, that was under development before the iPhone came out, but what it was, even when it came out after the iPhone, was not like the iPhone. But in a very short time, it mm. was a lot like the iPhone. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's an example of somebody, you know, skating to where the puck was going to be. Um, whether uh-huh. it's because they kind of saw where the market was going and were just a beat ahead, or whether it was because they caused the market to go that way, you know, we can argue. Mm-hmm. But the point is they were doing something a little bit ahead. Um, right. And, and sort of a related thread to that, I, I use the phrase a beat ahead. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, – there's an episode of Roderick on the line. I'll get it for show notes where they mostly talk about music. Um, they spend a lot of time talking about the Beatles and uh, Paul McCartney's mm-hmm. various musical abortions that followed his time in the Beatles. Um, and uh, a few other artists, well, they talk a lot about Michael Jackson and you know some of his early um, really, really seminal work. Um, and one thing, an idea they mentioned there that really stuck with me was this idea that the Beatles, one of the reasons they are the Beatles – that they have the place in history they had was they were out a little bit ahead of where everyone else was, but they mm-hmm. weren't way ahead. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't doing eighties music in the sixties, but you know, they were maybe doing <laughs> 1965 music in 1963. Uh, and those, mm-hmm. those aren't specific you know, years or figures that we're using this episode, but that's the idea. Like they were, they were ahead. They were half a beat ahead. They were far enough ahead of where things were going um, that they were new and they were pioneers and they were different and they were innovators. And same thing with Michael Jackson in the 80s. He was just far mm-hmm. enough ahead, you know, just weird enough, um, just different enough that it was new and exciting, but not so crazily far out that it that it didn't work at all. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and it's made me think a lot about, you know, just, just in, you know, you take it down even to a career level, like – what do I need to be doing now that's that's going to be just a little bit better, you know, a little bit further ahead than where I'm at now, but not so mm-hmm. far. You know, I, I I have one podcast with you. Um, I shouldn't really be thinking about, you know, I shouldn't be acting as though I've had the career where I've got five podcasts and I've got a network and I have sponsors. You know, I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't make my next step um, in that position of somebody who's doing what I'm doing now, but I've been doing it for five years. You know, but what mm-hmm. can I do that's maybe a month or six months ahead of where I'm at right now to pull myself forward right. a little bit? Um, yeah. and, and sort of one more one more example on this idea of being a little bit ahead but not too far ahead. Um, I'm going to delve into <laughs> – um, someday this, this whole book needs to be a topic. But uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, um, I believe, <laughs> has this, uh, if I'm not very much mistaken. I think that's the book where he's got a chapter about the Aeron chair. Um, the sort of iconic, semi-futuristic, uh, like, you hmm. know, uh, dot-com era. Actually, it might even be earlier than the dot-com era, but it was very popular in the dot-com era. But this, this like, 90s chair from, I, I think, Herman Miller. Um, but that that was, um, the, the story, at least as recounted by Gladwell, is when this chair was introduced, it was, it was panned. Like, it was, it was a bomb. People were like, what the mm-hmm. hell is this thing? It looks like something – I think he, he quotes a reviewer who says it looks like something out of RoboCop. Um, <laughs> but a few years later, like it was in – it was used on the sets of all kinds of TV and movies, um, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in, in, in and around Silicon Valley had them in their offices. Like it was – it became a huge, massive hit. Um, but it wasn't immediately a hit because it was just a little too far ahead. People mm-hmm. had to get used to it. It was too different from what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with these specific examples, I'm wondering, too, because I was thinking of this more as a helpful way of thinking if you're, if you're the type that uh, finds it hard to imagine the future. Um, or doesn't find it useful, maybe in a way, because I don't know. And I, um, well, and I, I think one thing I'm one one reason I wanted to run down this thread first is just thinking about this idea of thinking about future events from a perspective further on than that, like thinking about future events as though they were the past. Um, that I I think it's it's useful when you're trying to figure out like where you need to be in the future when you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. 
Um, mm-hmm. Whether you're looking at it, you know, trying to forward project, or you're imagining you're there in the future and looking back, I don't know. The reason that this occurred to me as useful and interesting is it's it's probably also useful to um, to keep in mind the scope of how far ahead you can even think. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can imagine looking at you know in the example of the study, these people were reviewing future financial performance, imagining themselves being even further in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But if you take that out too far, like it probably wouldn't be useful for them to look at supposed future performance of their industry that's 30 years out and imagine themselves 33 years out. Mm-hmm. Because even in 1980, you you couldn't even begin to imagine what 30 years out was going to look like, let right. alone 33. Well, and I think the main thing is not – and I hear what you're saying. I think the main thing about this line of thinking is not so much what distance in the future do you position yourself – but that putting moving yourself ahead of the events mm-hmm. makes it easier for our brains mm-hmm. to make sense of it. Sure, um, you know, and I think this is tied up in our um, inclination toward narrative mm-hmm. and the way we <laughs> make sense of of the past. You know, the stories we tell ourselves about why things are the way they sure. are. Um, that's much easier for us to do than to imagine. The future, mm-hmm. unless, of course, we think of the future as the past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's more about switching modes than distance. Right. But I hear what you're saying, too. But then that's interesting, though, because what I was starting to say was I was really drawn to this, and I don't know the connection quite yet, but I am the type of person that does not have a hard time avoiding getting too far ahead. Like, I never get too far ahead of myself. Um, I'm often the person who stays just on um, whatever the next step mm-hmm. is. That's as far as I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've thought of this with, um, <laughs> even in my relationships, um, when I was dating Billy and we were um, just starting to hang out, the only next possible thing I could even imagine was um, becoming a committed boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, And when we were at that point, I couldn't imagine being married. I could only think about being engaged Mm -hmm. and on and on and on. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's it's even culturally that's if you, if you go too far down that path too quickly, like if you're naming children on a first date with somebody that's looked at as very problematic. Right, right. So yeah, so maybe part of that has been conditioned into me. Maybe it's just the way I make decisions or imagine projects mm-hmm. anyway. Sure. Um, but that's a that's been a really yeah. key example for me when I think about things like this is well, and and maybe this is a a good micro example too. Um even though Billy and I had decided to get engaged the year that we got engaged, um I did not start imagining or plotting out things I would desire for our wedding, I couldn't even bring myself to to visualize any of those things until we were actually engaged. Like, although that process was very creative and fun and important to me, I, I just could not think about it until we were actually engaged. And not in some, like, odd Puritan no, like, I, this needs to be official sort mm-hmm. of thing. I don't know. Well, I don't I, know. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Well, and then, um, you know, going back to my, and, and I think the the main reason that I wanted to, that I was bringing up this, this idea of the, you know, being just a beat ahead or half a beat ahead um, versus mm-hmm. thinking way, way out. Um, I, the main reason I brought that up was, I think, just because it's, it's something about future, future focus thinking that has been on my mind a lot lately. Um, but I think that also relates to what you're saying here in that, like, you just, your, your condition, your, like, basic, um, your basic mode when you think about the future, uh, is, is to only look a half beat ahead or so of where you are now. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you aren't, you aren't imagining the very end of everything. You know, you're not going out to the, um, there's a, there's a Stephen Covey kind of idea where, um, when he talks about mission statements and, and, you know, goal setting, um, the, the second habit in his highly, uh, seven habits of highly effective people is begin with the end in mind. And he has this exercise mm-hmm. where you imagine, um, and it, it depends on which version of the seminar or the audio book or the book you're, you're reading, but 
you he has he has people imagine either their funeral and you know who comes to speak and what do they say um mm-hmm. or their 75th birthday party um which might not actually be that helpful of an exercise if you're 76 but uh you know for for <laughs> relatively young people like us um well like you anyways uh <laughs> imagining the 75th birthday party that's pretty far out like you know and and his idea is you get a very clear picture of how to be living your life now in order to get there mm-hmm. um which i which i think well, is good yeah. but at the same time imagining your 75th birthday party and what people are going to say about you you know and and who's going to be there and what they're going to think about you imagining your funeral um and assuming you don't think that'll be like next week um Imagine what people are going to say about you. That might not actually influence that much the specific choices you make today. Right. Well, to me, it's sort of similar to, and you may take a drink, um, in David Allen's Getting Things Done, the different levels of focus, the horizons of focus. Um, could you uh, could you clarify those for us? I'm not really sure. I'm not that familiar with his work. Uh, um, that's your job. Boom explain everything um at the highest elevation his 50,000 foot level um similarly it feels like those types of exercises and those types of imagining at, at that level it really only can remind you of your values because you can't fill in the details at that level that level is not about detail by definition um you know, whether that room is full of lots of people or only certain key people, um, you know, while you can't know whether or not those people will be there, that might be an indicator of, oh, family is most important. Mm-hmm. So, of course, whoever can be there will be there. Or, oh, my social networks were important or my work networks mm-hmm. were important or the people that I did community service with were important. So they're going to be there. So I think those levels are helpful in pointing back to um, reminding you of what you do value. Um, but that's not necessarily, like you said, going to dictate mm-hmm. how to alter your right. plans or your right. focus. Hey, yeah, those, those two exercises in particular, I like the word values. I, f- I, I do feel like myself. Um, it- oh, you feel like myself. <laughs> Yay! I do feel like um, there is, you know, there's there's not going to be much to do. Like, what's what's on my project list for this week is not going to have that much to do with what I want people to remember me for when I'm when I'm dead. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, but it can remind me of how I want them to think of me. You know that I, you know, if I want to be remembered as being honest or um, nice mm-hmm. or uh, funny. Um, you know, mm-hmm. those are, the, those are the kinds of things that I can imagine the relevance of those things across people's lives out to when I'm 75, uh, which I think will be the year after next. Um, whereas, uh, you know, thinking about like what project I'm going to, to do at work next and what order I should do them in, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it doesn't feel on the mm-hmm. other hand, I can definitely imagine what is going to be on my plate, um, two months from now at work. And mm-hmm. how to get a little bit ahead of that. Um, and I, I don't know that it's going to be super helpful for me to imagine myself 10 years from now looking back on my whole career um, and figure out from that where I should be eight years from now. But I can definitely imagine, you know, what six months from now I'm going to be glad I did now. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think I think the time scale is important. Um, I I do something that just occurred to me though on this the original idea about looking back historically at your future, um, time travel, if you will. Uh, <laughs> the thing about time travel is, <laughs> well, as you know, I am a time traveler, and <laughs> are, you, are you like just cutting me off? I just buzzed you. You, just, you buzzed yep. me, and I'm done with that one, huh? <laughs> Something I'm reminded of here is an idea uh, from Michael Neal, who is, uh, and I hate this term, but I like his work. Uh, He is a life coach, um, and uh, he is on, he has a a podcast slash radio show on Hay House Radio Network. I am not very much of a fan of most of their stuff. It's a lot of, you know, law of attraction, talking to angels, um, crystals and vibrations kind of 
um, science, <laughs> but mm. uh, his his stuff I do find to be fairly reasonable, and um, the amount of of uh, woo in it is relatively low. Um, but he he's also written a number of books, and uh, I tend to like those um, better than I like many of his his fellow hosts on the radio network. Um, and in, I think it was in the book, You Can Have What You Want. Um, if not, it's in the audio program, Effortless Success. And if not, then it's in both of them. And I will figure that out and put it in show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has this idea that I like a lot about when it comes to goal setting and figuring out what you're supposed to do, where he talks about imagining yourself, talking to yourself after you have achieved whatever it is that you're going towards. Um, and mm-hmm. asking and, and, you know, imagining interrogating yourself, like, well, what had to happen just before you were able to do this? And and <laughs> what had to happen in order to do that? And working your way backwards from the end. And that's not a new idea, this idea of working working from the end, going backwards, you know, in right. project management and elsewhere. You know, many people have talked about that. Um, <laughs> again, back to Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. You know, if you know what's required, what the the final scope of your project is, if you know what your goal is, um, you can Mm -hmm. imagine the preconditions for that and then work your way backwards, you know, until all the way to the present, theoretically, and get all your steps lined up. Um, But I like the way he frames the exercise because he doesn't say, like, start at the end of the project and work your way backwards. He actually talks about imagining yourself having done it and asking, what did you have Mm -hmm. to do? You know, he's he's talking about looking back on it um, mm-hmm. in a way, which, which you know, come to that is also sort of Stephen Covey's approach. I just, I don't actually like that as much. I don't find that as helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's this idea of, of sort of, you know, imagining and asking your future self, well, what did you have to do to get to this thing that I want to get to going forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's all up in your head. It's all imagined. So, you know, you could come up with literally anything, I guess, and it might not have anything to do with reality. But I like it because it's that it's the same kind of idea that that Wick was getting at with this. You know, it's going to be easier to look back on it, even if it hasn't happened yet, even if it is in the future, than to move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of a combination of what feel like feels like two different practices, but it combines them. The idea of visualizing your future success, you might say, or future self, or future work, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you know, that comes up in sports ball a lot. <laughs> but we talk about it um, in competitive speech, too. Um, and I know we've talked about, um, I think when we were talking about preparation and what it means to get ready for, um, in this case, a competition. But at any rate, a situation in which you cannot control all the variables. Mm -hmm. You don't know whether it's going to rain or whether someone is going to suddenly barf in the middle of a round (laughs) or whatever. Um, But you can still do the work to visualize what would it look like if everything went Mm -hmm. well, if everything went the way I would like it to. How might that look? And then maybe um, to sort of mentally prepare for some of those other things. Okay, well, what would it look like? What what would I see myself doing if <laughs> X horrible thing mm-hmm. happened, right? Um, and sometimes walking through that mentally can be a way of bracing for it. Right. Um, yeah, but then the other thing it seems to combine is sort of Wick's idea and what we've been talking about, the ability to move yourself in time. Um, so not just visualizing, but... Can you can you move yourself forward and backward in a way that's helpful? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about. I was thinking about this too, and then when I was going back through. Um, you know, I pulled up those six levels on the GTD website, and I was thinking about um, although you know all this stuff is sort of about. Um, what you're doing in the current moment, but yeah, what am I trying to say? (laughs) Like the work seems to be about managing what you're doing right now Mm -hmm. so that at every moment you are able to deal with what comes up, what happens in the current moment. But the goal is so that in the future you can continue to do what you want to do and achieve what you want to achieve 
Um, and I don't know if I have a question or an observation <laughs> or what this is. <laughs> but what I was noticing was even at that sixth level, the 50,000 foot level, um, most of that text in David Allen's description of that level is in the present tense. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. And so I that I was drawn to that for some reason. I'm still thinking about why. Yeah. Well, I, um, um, I'll, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll break down and make a David Allen reference. Um, <laughs> uh, in his second, second book I've talked about before, Ready for Anything, um, one of the principles he talks about there is uh, that the value of a future goal is the change in present behavior that it fosters. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of the, you know, again, looking at it retrospectively, like if you can imagine having achieved this goal, you are probably going to have to do or be something different than what you are right now. Um and having that goal, holding mm-hmm. that goal, I, you know, there are there are certainly self help authors. Um, again, the kinds of compatriots of of Michael Neal that I'm not really a fan of. There are certainly authors who will tell you that just having the goal and holding it close to you and keeping it in mind will will magically draw it towards you. Um, and <laughs> and you know, sometimes having it is enough. And um, certainly, a lot of people have examples where that seems to have happened. Um, I, right. I think that's that's not actually very common or and not a very useful way to go about, you know, your goals. Um, but on the other hand, if you have it and you do keep it in mind and you, uh, you work towards it, um, consistently, mm-hmm. uh, what's, what's going to happen is you're going to get closer to it. But the reason you're getting closer mm-hmm. to it is not because you're imagining it. It's because you're doing something different because you're keeping it in front of you. Um, right, and I, I think right. there's there's something a little bit retrospective in that, although it might often be automatic. But you know, if you can imagine this goal having been achieved, and that causes a difference in your behavior, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's maybe even some automatic retrospective thinking there. Um, there's only in. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking as thoughts are forming. <laughs> it's proving to be a bad idea. <laughs> no, my mouth no, is getting ahead of my brain. Uh, but it's. To even imagine that you can achieve a goal and to change your behavior towards it, you are already mm-hmm. saying, I can imagine having done this. Um, you are mm-hmm. already looking back on it as something that could have been done. Like just, just by definition, uh, mm-hmm. you, yeah. even if it's something you can't literally, you literally can't do this right now. Like there are way too many steps. Mm-hmm. There are goals and sub goals and projects and sub projects and skills you're going to need to learn, conditions in the world mm-hmm. that will have to change that have not come to pass. Like there's just, you, your goal, even if even if you had all to, all of today to yourself and many more resources than you have now, your goal is not within reach. It's not a stroke of the pin goal. You can't just mm-hmm. you know. But it won't be unless you change. Right. Today. But if you if you do anything to change that, if you move towards it at all, you are saying you know maybe it's not right now, but I can imagine this having been possible. Um, I can yes. I can put myself beyond this, and therefore I'm going to act in these ways. Um, mm, and I, this is getting trippy and I love it. <laughs> it's getting something. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, no, what I was thinking about there and it's, uh, I think related, not what you're saying, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, but I'm thinking about also, um, something we talk about in the speech world, um, in which, um, so much of what the student competitors do is about presence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are literally in a room full of people who are literally watching you um, and listening to you. Um, And it's not just about the decisions you make in the performance, but it's also about, for instance, how you get up from your chair and walk to the front of the room. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your performance starts the moment you enter the room. Actually, if people run into you in the hallway, it starts out Mm -hmm. there. Yes. Um, This entire experience um, is holistic. So part of preparing for that is imagining that you are not only the performer you want to be, but that you're the competitor you want to be, even when you don't feel prepared you still have to walk around that campus or that building or that classroom where you're performing as if you are prepared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and sure, you can't go back and have a different school week where you've worked harder and you actually are as prepared as you wanted to be. 
but you can imagine a future weekend where you are that prepared and act like you are this weekend. Mm. So you can get up in your head um, and worry about how unprepared you are, or you can fake it until you look like you are. <laughs> That's what you can do. Uh, somebody somebody in a podcast talked about this. Um, I'm going to say it was probably Merlin. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's uh, there is almost sort of a fake it until you become it that everyone has to do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you, a lot of this stuff, like, um, I, we might've even talked about this a little at some point. Like there's a lot of things that until and unless you're doing it, you, you, you aren't the thing. Like you can't do it. Like you can't just go right. learn to do it and then do it. You have to actually just sit down and do it. Um, right. you know, if you want to, if you want to have written something like you need to be writing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're not going to become a writer. No amount of research and classes and preparation and visualization and beginning from the end in mind and goal setting and making lists, none of that will make you a writer. But without a degree, without doing any more reading than you've already done, without doing any more research, without any visualization, with no goal setting, with no sense of where it's going, <laughs> if you actually sit down and write every day, you are a writer. Um, and you will get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things like that. I think where um, you know this this thinking forward in time is good, and I think reflecting back on it and imagining what had to be true in order to get there is good. But until you actually are doing it, um, you know, it's it's not going to happen, and you're not mm-hmm. that thing. Man, so has this? And now I. At different points in this conversation, I keep thinking myself into these trains of thought and then everything just sort of collapses. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> what you just said, does that sort of collapse this entire topic into saying so if something pops into your brain as a poss- as a future possibility nope, I don't know how to formulate this like <laughs> Just start. See, doing you should, it you should have just left like, it when I said I am a time traveler because then I could have I could have resolved all this. That's why this isn't working. It's because you have access to the future and I don't. Uh, let me it. step into my TARDIS. Um, no, I. You know what I mean? Like, so, so to a certain extent, is the the ultimate, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the ultimate Zen state, the readiness state, would be you are already working, even if it's in a micro way, toward everything in your future. So there is little value in changing your future because you should be already doing something toward it. Mm, I'm not even sure. I I, I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> I don't know how uh, to say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> you're, you're already... I don't know, and maybe well, you, this is there's a word for this, like where I'm just sort of imploding the whole universe and saying screw it. But I'm not saying screw it. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying you're already doing stuff that sets you up for stuff mm-hmm. in the future, and there are already forces that you cannot and will not know how they're going to affect mm-hmm. you. So you're so talking like, about sort of like a predestined fatalistic, like like oh fatalistic. Okay, that's what thinking good. Of. Like, aren't we already living the future? Because of what's happening to Uh, sure. <laughs> and I don't um, mean it in the fatalistic way of like, so let's stop. No, worrying no, about but, it. Like, but that's not what you I'm know, saying. The, the, the past, the, the future you is going to have to live with, you know, every, everything that mm-hmm. the future you has, has achieved on, uh, so we're recording this. I'm going to place this in time and space, which I don't often do this precisely. <laughs> we were recording this on the 11th of February in the year of our Lord, 2015. Um, it's April. Did I say February? Yes, you Jesus. did. Um, we are maybe you're not. Oh my God! Did you travel in time? Like, is this not a? Joke? As you know, I am a time traveler. Oh my God! We are recording this on the 11th of April in the year of our Lord 2015. Um, everything, everything that will have been achieved on the afternoon of this day, when we look back on it from April 12th. 2015 or April 12th, 2025, like all that, all that is happening right now. Um, 
Yeah. And they're, you know, who we are going to be then is influenced by what we're doing now. And what we're doing mm-hmm. now is being influenced by what we imagine we'll be and be able to do and want to do then. You know, yes. all these things play back and forth, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's not so much that we are locked into a path. I mean, people will argue that. Um, I, I recently read a book uh, on sort of cognitive neuroscience and, and how we are we are misunderstanding you know the basics of current brain science and, and it's being used to lead us astray in journalism and, and the law and things like that and I'll, I'll get a link to it in mm-hmm. show notes but one of the one of the points it made there is an awful lot of people increasingly as we understand more about like the brain and psychology and history and how things work, People do tend to get this sort of fatalistic idea that we're we're living in a deterministic universe where there is no such thing as agency. There is no such thing as free will. We are all only the products mm-hmm. of what has happened to us. Um, so definitely we can run down various rabbit trails while we talk about time and the future and goals and all of this where we conclude it doesn't really matter. Um <laughs> You know, we are all on these tracks that we cannot change. You know, if you if you truly believe we live in a completely causally closed universe, and that that everything that will be able to happen is exactly and only what will happen, yeah, that can be a little depressing, and it might not be worth thinking about these things. Um, <laughs> on on the other hand, um, you know, you said you don't want to you don't want to say that like you shouldn't do anything; you should just give up. You know, um, that that there shouldn't be any goals in the future. The the other part of that is, though, you know, as even if you assume that whatever you choose based on hearing this conversation about what you do about your future goals is already determined, <laughs> um, that doesn't mean it's not useful to think about the future and work towards it. Maybe you ultimately can't take credit for it because you had no say. You're a deterministic being locked into, you know, <laughs> there's no free will here. Mm-hmm. But some people are going to hear this and try to do something different about their future, and that's going to mm-hmm. have a good effect for them. Um, yeah. So I think even if you even if you don't believe you've got any agency in it, um, <laughs> act like you do. And if if you're right. able to, okay. you, you will, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. Because to say I don't have any, so I may as well give up, uh, well – Maybe that was maybe that was predestined, you know, causally closed universe. Everything happens because of what has happened before. Fine. But uh-huh. that's still gonna be a worse it's still gonna lead to worse outcomes for you than the guy who says, you know, right. oh, I've I'm in control, I have free will, I can imagine my future state, I can imagine a different future state, I can choose among future states, and that will determine where mm-hmm. I go next and what I do next. Yes. Yes. So no, I'm really glad you got to that because I think that helped me figure out why I was getting into the fatalistic yeah, and, stuff. And really, I think, okay. I, I don't think it's a, it's a useless philosophical exercise, but I think it's useless for most people to think about most of the time. You won't get anywhere good well, with it. Right. And I think that's, I was hearing the voices in my head of people who um, will not consider positive future outcomes because for whatever reason, they are beaten down by this idea that, um, well, the universe is out to get me anyway. Mm-hmm. So why bother working toward this dream job right, right. or whatever or, or this dream or who home. just feel like it's it's you know maybe they don't think about it in these grand philosophical terms but who do think like what is possible is only what is what is happening you know that they're right right or what has right happened. I yeah. am I am like, the kind well, of person who goes from entry level job. job to entry level job and never really mm-hmm. achieves anything and I'm just watching my body slowly decline mm-hmm. as I age and there's nothing I can do to make it better because this is just what right. is and I'm stuck with it right yeah and I am I absolutely acknowledge that there are oppressive forces that do make it harder for some people to <laughs> excel than others like absolutely true. But I guess what I'm thinking about is the people who um, see more oppression than (laughs) um, is actually affecting them and who refuse to to do what they can to keep moving. So I guess – so all that that thinking, I think, was (laughs) – thinking, I think, was leading me toward (sighs) sort of what you started saying, that it is so helpful to behave as if – that future thing is possible Mm -hmm. because then you make it possible by the choices you make today. Right. Yes. So behave as if the best things can happen and prepare for those bad Mm -hmm. things to happen too. Yeah. You know, do whatever you have to do to to cope Mm -hmm. 
along the way, but behave as if the best things are going to be possible, right. even if they aren't right. Yeah. Now. And, um, yeah, I've, I've broken, broken down and started quoting David Allen already in this one. So I'll keep going. Um, <laughs> keep going. he has, he has a phrase that I like that Courtney hates, but I really like, which is, um, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, shoot down the middle, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I like, um, you know, you, you, uh, and, and, you know, I think preparedness, we haven't really talked about this much at all, but like, you know, being ready for the worst that could happen, um, is, is also in a way like, you know, if, to do that, you, you do have to look retrospectively at the future and you have to say, okay, it's a year from now. I'm pretending there was a hurricane, um, which is a weird thing for me to pretend because I live in Kansas. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that there was a hurricane looking back on it. What was I glad that I did before right. the hurricane when there wasn't a crisis, you know, once the crisis had passed? Um, mm-hmm. you know, preparing for the worst in any, in any case is, it is essentially, again, it's to do it right. You, you have to do it retrospectively. Um, you're not imagining mm-hmm. how much water you're going to need. I mean, you might be, but I think a, a better way than trying to do that on the back of a napkin is to ask, well, what am I going to be glad I had access to when all this stuff was shut down for three days? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know about this one either. Uh, well, I got to get back to February. <laughs> Dang. Uh, oof. Shall I stop recording? Yeah, let's go ahead and stop recording. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. you can fake it until you look like you are. <laughs> um, That's what you I can think, do. I think there's a common phrase in the recovery movement and in self-help for that. I think it's fake it until you are it. Well, there's fake it till you I make know, it. Being, being silly. Is, oh. oh, cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> I, was, I was making that joke where I deliberately get it wrong. Well, and I, I wasn't going to say it exactly that way. Either, I mean, sometimes we do say it that way because it is helpful um, if people, it is more of a, an esteem issue or an attitude mm-hmm. issue. People really don't believe in themselves enough to actualize. Um, so it really is fake it till you make it. It's like, okay, well, carry yourself a little bit differently. Imagine that this is true and see how it feels. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about right. <laughs> what right. your potential really um, is. Or as, as uh, Madeline LaIngle puts it, be the change you wish to see. Ouch. Ouch. I'm cutting all of this out.